0: Welcome to SinCast, presented by Cinema Hey,
1: everybody! Welcome to the SinCast. This is Chris Atkinson from Cinema joined as always by the voice of Cinema Jeremy Scott. Hi there, and music video Sins writer Barrett Share. Hello. And uh, Jeremy, do you have something to rant about?
2: I'm as mad as hell. You're out of order. You've never seen me very upset. Yeah, we got to talk about this OJ show. Um, Oh, yeah. Because I think we're all watching it. And I'm seeing I had this interesting conversation with my friend, Aaron, who reviews movies and um, has usually had the same taste as me. And he was like, it's great. And I was like, oh, wait, no, um, I'm watching it, but it's terrible. Like, it's very (laughs) compelling. And it's very watchable in a in a soapish kind of way, but this thing is a cartoon. And and I, I've seen a couple of people on Twitter that are like, "This show is so good." And I'm like, "Just because you keep watching it, does not mean it's good." Am I off base here? No, not at all. Um, I I will say that this
1: show, uh, as cartoony as it is, and it is Ryan Murphy. This is the guy who gave us Nip Tuck and and uh, Glee and all that. Right. Um. It is very cartoony and it is horribly bad in many, in many respects, but there's so many like little good things, good nuggets in it. Uh, Courtney B. Vance is obviously a, like an over the top Johnny Cochran, but man, is he good at it? I love yeah. Courtney B. Vance on the show and I'm glad he's finally got something that, you know, has got his name sort of spread around because he's been a great actor for a really long time. Um, but yeah, like, especially for me, the Kardashian stuff where he just can't resist pushing that Kardashian button, right? Anytime Robert Kardashian shows up on screen, they have to show,
2: well, what is Kim thinking about this freaking brunch where he gets recognized and then lectures his, his daughters and about fame over family over fame. And I was just like, oh my God, like if you'd have made this movie before the Kardashians got famous, this would not be in here. You're just trying to. I don't know what you're trying to do, but it pulls me out and I think I think the guy played in Darden is doing really good. I really yeah, like him. he is. He's great. He's the least cartoony performance caricature. I think the girl playing Marsha Clark is doing a good job. Yeah, Sarah Paul. But Balls. they're they're giving her a lot of that Kardashian brunch type stuff that's a little over the top kind of for me. Um, and then Travolta's literally letting his makeup job yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, uh, like I feel like they've they've drawn, like they've made up his the furrow on his brow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like he doesn't have to make that expression.
2: It's
0: exactly. Bad. Um, I feel like he's auditioning for the next Nixon role.
2: <laughs> you know what? No doubt. Oh my god. And then um, uh, we got to talk about Cuba Gooding, who they just decided not to put any makeup on at all to make him look like OJ. Yeah. And every time he's on screen, I just I want to flip the channel, and I like. <laughs>
1: The guy. Well, basically, it's like uh, he's got that same, like, dead expression of, you know, like out like weariness on his face or whatever the entire time. Like, just, you know, look under your eyelids a little bit. And then that's uh, that's that's O.J. And you just you just go along with it. Um, <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah and uh, and you know he doesn't he's i mean it's it's almost it's funny also about this show is that he's incidental to the story basically he ba- barely even shows up except in that first couple of first couple of episodes where it's the bronco chase and all right.
0: that Right Right but uh I like emo David Schwimmer yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the the whole thing well, I, okay. Yeah sent since you guys a an email last night a, a super cut of all the times that he says juice yeah. Oh yeah <laughs> And, And as I was watching it again, by the way, they undersold how many times he says juice. Because he says juice more times than it is in that supercut. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's insane! Fantastic. I believe well, it. And,
1: and it's funny too. The you know you bring uh, the the juice supercut and all that other type of stuff. That in that that's another thing that comes back to the Kardashians is like uh, is the scene where um, OJ jumps out of the window and everything. And Ro- Robert Kardashian's like, oh, no, he's about to shoot himself. And Robert Kardashian's mm. like, like no, no, not in my Kimmy's my Kimmy's bedroom, not in there. You know, blah blah blah. <laughs> and it's like, oh my god, man. Can you just not just once, you know, and they just can't re- help themselves. It has in the past couple of episodes sort of gotten away a little bit from all that, but Oh my God. <sighs> yeah. That show is, is insanely watchable. It's like Jerry Springer with a whole bunch of, you know, like <laughs> used to be uh, top actors or whatever. Yeah.
2: Like I was talking with the uh, Reverend jiggles on Twitter and, uh, he he was like, this show's so great. I was like, is it really though? No, like this scene that's on right now. It was like OJ screaming at somebody in the jail. I was like, this is not good. And he's like, okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> <I was laughs> like, the more you start to look at it, you're you're watching because you're caught up in it but i don't know that that equates to quality it's a very unique show in that regard because it it is it isn't as bad as you know jerry springer i love that analogy by the way but it, we're not talking about a show that's that bad as you said there's good nuggets here and there um compelling moments but it's it's unique in that it's really watchable but not all that good
1: yeah um, and it, and it's weird. I mean, that is a weird thing. I mean, it's just, I, I'm going to watch every episode of this and it was kind of like that back then though, when the actual stuff was going on,
2: um, I was going to bring that up. Like how much of that is the, you know, almost a weird, morbid nostalgia for the way it was when it was happening.
1: Yeah. It, it's, um, because it, I think that's where we first started really opening up to, just anything goes on television and yeah. everything and, and it, and, and we, that. The everything that was er, that is weird about that show was a everything that was weird about living back then during that during that whole
0: thing. I mean, they've fudged something, but you go I mean, back, you, you go back and relive some of that stuff, and you're like, Oh, that shit's made up. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah old- that woman actually did write a book about giving California blowjobs or Brentwood,
1: with- Brentwood, hellos, or whatever Brentwood it is, hellos, or Brentwood yeah. welcomes, or whatever. Well,
2: grocery cashier really did make like a you know, a Inappropriate joke for when she when Marsha Clark was checking out like that. I, I saw oh an article that fact checked that and that was real.
1: I I about died when I when I heard that. I was just like, really, are you serious? And yeah, but the but they well, there's you know they do other things where like you know Marsha Clark's uh, first second in command or whatever that uh, has the heart attack in the middle of the courtroom or whatever. They fudge right. that a little bit um because the guy had i guess he had heart trouble and he, he was actually in court all day and then later on they they kicked him off but it wasn't because he fell in the middle of the courtroom and all that um but uh but yeah it's a it's an interesting show and you're right it's horrible but i'm gonna watch every bit of it me too i just wanted to get that off my chest um another thing is uh this this episode will come uh probably a week after uh Allegiant uh, is made. It's probably going to make all the money it's going to make after Batman and Superman comes out yeah, <laughs> uh, next week. Um, but uh, Allegiant, I think it made, uh, I'm looking at it here, like it made around $12 million yesterday. It's probably going to make like 40 or 50 or so over the weekend, um, which is and not much compared to like, you know, Hunger Games and stuff like that. But uh, this is another one of these part one, part two movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but they've done something different with this one where they're calling this one allegiant and they're gonna call the next one ascendant mm-hmm. and uh basically so that people when they go and watch this, they don't think it's just part one syndrome or whatever like that, but it's this i mean if this succeeds, is that what we're gonna see are we're gonna see like uh are we gonna see uh, the Avengers, uh, what is that uh, one? Infinity War. We're going to see Infinity Wars turn into something different. Uh, maybe not since it's got such a you know, well-known name or whatever. But are we going to start seeing that with movies now where they, they call part one something else and so that they can make it seem like two different movies?
2: Yeah, yeah, of course we are because um, people are stupid and uh, a lot of them won't realize it. <laughs> um a lot of people a lot of people who are fans of the first two Divergent Insurgent movies, like didn't read the books. A lot of them did for sure, but many of them won't even know that what's going on. And Hollywood's gonna catch on to that. Mocking Jay, if it were coming out this year or next and next year, would be Mocking Jay and I don't know, mocking something else it would it would have two different titles you're right the part one part two thing is going to go away
1: yeah they i I think they've just gotten to the point where they they realize people have wised up to this even though they really wised up to it i think as far back as kill bill when that started doing it but yeah um, but you know they they're doing this now, and I don't like it just because it's dressing up the same problem. Uh, where you know you have a movie that does not stand alone. Uh, it has to have the parts around it. Um, I mean that doesn't it doesn't hurt on everything on every series. Like I I like the Two Towers a lot, and even even though a lot of people you know say well Two Towers isn't anything without the first and third movie. Uh, but it's I still like my favorite one to watch. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's my favorite one too. Um, but uh, but I don't like this purposeful let's drag it out type of thing. That, I mean, well, and you
2: know what? That's what the Hobbit did. The yeah, Hobbit yeah. split it into three parts, but called it all different things. Mm. Yeah, and they that's were all true. terrible, and I hate them.
1: That's true. I, and, and that just goes to show you how quickly I forgot them, that I thought that Allegiant <laughs> Ascendant was the first one doing it.
2: Um,
1: but you know, we're going to see movies that end, uh, you know, that are sprawling and then end abruptly and have no point and, except other than to make the next movie uh, happen.
2: Well, next. and I could rant about that, too, because it's I think it's popular to, to bash on all these young adult fiction turned into movie series. Um, based on their post apocalypticness. Um, and granted, a lot of them are post apocalyptic, but the one that the the, the fact that I have trouble with, with Hunger Games even and Maze Runner for sure and Divergent Insurgent is it's like exactly what you just said. It's two hours of something, and then at the end, that was all a lie. Now here's the truth. And then the whole series (laughs) just keeps doing that. And I'm like, why would I get invested in any of this? It's all bogus.
1: it sort of reminds... I don't know if you ever saw that South Park episode where their Okama Game Sphere gets stolen. No. Yeah. And uh, and so they, they so they go and they, there's this big huge reveal at the end between the government and like whoever this alien force is behind or whatever. They're, you know it, it turns into this huge thing. And uh, every time the the kids think they're about to get the games the, their game system back, they they have some more reveal that they want to get. Is, but did you know that we were actually this and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And so many times they'll say they'll say, "Do you want to hear the rest of the story?" And they're like, "No, not really. We just want to play our game." <laughs> And like they're sitting there playing the game while like all this stuff goes on in the background. Like there's just like millions of reveals happening in the background <laughs> and everything. And it's kind of like that, you know. It's kind of like these movies are doing now, where it's like, did you know that it was? This isn't actually the thing that you're seeing, but yes. Yeah. So our topic today uh, came uh, via a question. Actually, we just decided to make a whole topic out of it course you are a character doesn't mean that you have characters we'll get there pop we'll get there um uh what uh, this guy's name is david yes david yes uh this guy david uh sent us what what is our favorite uh character development and um i think the uh, i'll just start this off i think this is the easiest one uh to talk about is pacino and the godfather Mm. yeah um michael corleone Is a character who has been, you know, he's supposed to be the legit son in the, in the Corleone family. Everybody else is in the, is in the business. Uh, he's gone off to war and all this other type of stuff. So he's a hero. War hero. And so he comes back and the first layer of it that you, that you get from him. And this is what I love about this movie is that he tells the story of his father, um, you know, giving the giving the guy an offer he can't refuse or whatever, uh, very calmly to his fiance K. And uh, and he's like, he's like my my dad went in there and he uh, he threatened him or whatever, told him that he was. gonna I can't remember what the threat was. He told the guy he's going to he's going to do such and that to him.
0: And uh, after that, Either the guy saw it, or his brains will be on the, the contract, right?
1: His brains will be on the contract. Uh, and he's like, that's a true story. And he just says it really matter of fact uh, to his, to his fiance. He doesn't, he doesn't think that it's a big deal at all. And you can see the admiration, uh, in his face, uh, during that thing. Um, and then it's sort of like, as it, as it goes along, it, you know, he becomes the, he wants to be the guy that shoots, uh, the, the, the other mobster guy and the, and the cop, he wants to be that guy. And he hasn't ever done that type of thing before. um, and, uh, after he, after, after he does that, he sort of, you know, they, they, you know, they send him off to, to Sicily and all this other type of stuff to go on, go into hiding and everything. And, um, uh, but by the, you know, by the end of it, he, he, you know, he comes back and he's, he's sort of, he's become that he's become that person. He's become the person that his dad didn't want him to be, which is him. He didn't want him to become him. Yeah. And, uh, and he has become that person. And of course the ending of it is great. He tells, he tells, you know, he tells Kay right to his face is like, I didn't kill, I didn't kill, uh, you know, the, you know, his sister's husband or whatever. I didn't do that. And then at the end, you know, they, they're like, they're calling him Godfather as the door closes and everything. And she's like, Oh, he kind of lied to
0: me, didn't he? And that's, <laughs> not even, that's not even going into Godfather 2, then. Right. Yeah. He is worlds different. There, you, you pick probably the, the shining example of, a character arc that goes from one completely different location to another. Yeah, I mean it's unrecognizable, and he and he plays it in his face and in his characterizations, and it's it's so different, it's unbelievable. I it, I love that whole uh, dramatic arc.
2: It's it's my favorite. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's a, I think you're right. That's a, that's a, the perfect one to make the first one we talk about because it. It's pretty perfect and it's a huge arc. Not too many characters make the kind of change he did. All right, we're done.
1: <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Um but no, that's I mean, I I skipped over, you know, quite a bit of it because if you haven't seen The Godfather, you want to see all this type of stuff for yourself, but Um, but that character transformation is amazing. And, uh, so that just leads us into this topic and, uh, Barrett, do you have any?
0: Yeah, I am actually going to stay with Pacino.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah.
0: So my first inclination when I hear this topic is I actually thought about people that have kind of an unraveling, uh, from the beginning to the end and a few things popped into my head, but the first thing that popped in my head was Scarface and Pacino's performance in that. And what struck me about this movie is that he is so fucking unlikable. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's a terrible yeah, character. Yeah. There's, no, there's no reason that we should like him. He's bad to his family. He's horrible with women. He's a stone-cold killer. He actually gets off on it. Um, he's greedy. Like, he's a terrible fucking person. But you But you're rooting for him this entire time for whatever reason. And, you know, he goes from... Just this power-hungry, street-level uh, guy to just making moves that, in a vacuum, make no sense. But for whatever reason, they work out for him until he gets to this absolutely obtuse, ridiculous situation to end it. And uh, it it's fun to watch, obviously. But it's its amazing that people root so much. I didn't even mention the incest, by the way. <laughs> 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 you know, uh, people people love this guy and they love this character. But it's so much fun to see him unravel and come apart in the scenes.
2: Yeah, he's great in that. I've only seen it once, so I can't really speak too intelligently on it. But I remember feeling that way that he it was kind of a descent into madness almost
1: yeah um and i it just goes and proves that theory that if you have the camera following somebody around and they're the main character, then you root for them no matter how bad they you know <laughs> what whatever bad stuff that they do a lot of times what I love doing when we're doing these Sims videos is like uh you know they they show a good character and he does all this bad stuff and I was like, if you turned this around where he's like a secondary character that's ancillary to the main character. We would hate that guy. He'd be the antagonist of the movie, yeah. um, and uh, and and so it's the same thing with Scarface. And it is kind of funny though, even though that you know he is the protagonist. You're like, yeah, I hope he gets what he deserves by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, everything. Well, um, and you
2: know, if we're gonna have to talk about this topic, I, I all of mine on my list are movies, but I think we should at least give honorable mention to Breaking Bad, at least from series beginning to end, in terms of a really great. Wildly huge character arc, and it's all earned, in my opinion.
1: I Um, wrote down in my notes
2: cheating Brian Cranston and Breaking Bad. (laughs) Okay, good. I just because, feel like if we didn't mention it, somebody's going to jump on us. I'm like, no, Breaking Bad. And I'm like, well, yeah. we were focused on
1: movies. Yeah, because the sh- the show itself is the character arc. Um, the, uh, right. the the I, I I love. I mean, we could talk about Brian. Go ahead, talk about Brian Cranston, Breaking Bad. Because even though this is movies and everything like that, I think most people who love movies would love Breaking Bad.
2: Too. Okay. Well, I'm. I mean, that that's this is one of those shows that. Gripped me from episode one. Uh, the premiere is great, but if you look at who Walter is, there um, he's meek, he's nervous, he's a good person. Um, he's he only decides to cook meth so he can pay for his cancer treatment, um, and because he knows how to. Um, there's really very little evil there at all. And then there are these there are these moments all along the way through all the seasons where he just takes these little steps towards confidence, like when he blows up that chemical in Tuco's office or whatever. And then Mm. when he's in the parking lot, shooing away the other guys buying drug supplies, um, and all the way up to say my name in the desert where he basically doesn't care. He is the man and he knows it and he's going to prove it. Um, and it's just, it's such a fantastic performance that to, to be able to play the subtle changes all along the way, um, it's just super impressive. Uh, he's such a great actor.
1: I also love how it, how one of the big things of the show is how he started a company with his friends and got you know he he left before it became super rich, right? Um, and one of the things that I enjoy about that show is how much how much that sort of drives him. It's part of it that drives yeah. him to do uh, do well in this meth business. So he, he wanted to carve something out for himself. And once he does that, he, you know, once he does that and he's complete. I mean, there's a point where they show all the money he's, he's been making or whatever. <laughs> it's like in a pile. Uh, and, uh, and it's like, you could stop right now easily and have enough for your family and everything. But he's like, Nope, going to keep on going. The meth yep. keeps on running.
0: Yep. <clears> That's <throat> interesting that you say that actually, the way I see it, He's motivated by science, like being around scientists, like they just want to get shit right. And every time you can see this little spark in his eye, every time that like he perfects a formula or something like that, like he's like, oh, that's awesome. You know, and he really like gets re-excited about it. And then it becomes more like autocratic that he has to get this right. And and
2: that kind of spreads into the rest of the business and and how he interacts with all the animals and everything. I love that classroom lecture in one of the early seasons where he's talking about carbon and mm. um just you can see the passion and he's a really good teacher and even as even as he's mean to Jesse all along the way, um he's still a really good teacher uh in some of their interactions. Um uh, but you know he's such a good person there in the beginning and for all the reasons that make sense he makes all these terrible decisions.
1: What is it he's like the chemistry is the science of transformation, <laughs> which they you know they showed ad nauseum during the uh, the finale season or whatever. Like they're like, yeah. wow, look how far this guy's come.
2: Yeah, but even that lecture devolves into the guy who got screwed on a patent and GM or somebody made a bunch of money, and there's that bitterness there of that company that he was almost part of that even creeps into his teaching when he's still a good guy.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, I also wrote down. Uh, Matthew Broderick's character in Election. Um, ah, good call. Election yeah. is a movie that I feel like gets. Um, it's another one that I could put in that not really talked about much for whatever reason. I mean, yeah. maybe maybe it's gotten a cult following. I actually saw today um, there was a sh- there's a show on True TV that they're talking about these movies, and one was Airplane and the next one that came on was elections. So I was like, well, maybe it does have some sort of a cult following. It didn't do anything at the box office. Um and I don't I don't hear people today really quoting it or anything. It's one of the most quotable movies. It is. But, uh Matthew Broderick in this is uh, you talk about an you talk about a character arc and so many things happen. Uh I can't really get into all the things that change his character, but he's an idealist. And, uh, and he, and he's, he's a good person and somebody Tracy flick race Witherspoon sort of teeters him on the edge where he's like, I need to stop this. I need to, I need to put an end to this somehow. And so he does everything he can that's legal to try to do that. You know, he gets the, he gets the class, um, the most popular kid in the class to run against her in the elect in the school election. Um, he uh he does all these different things to try to you know try to derail her and he's actually at the point where he's just gonna have he he feels like he's gonna have to give up and say all right well i've i've i tried and i succeeded but then he goes to even further depths (laughs) um and uh that is you know and, and it's right at the beginning too where he's there's like that uh uh, where he's talking about the difference between ethics and morals and stuff like that, it comes and plays, <laughs> it comes and plays, you know, beautifully to his character by the end of the movie. Um, uh, I don't know of a of, of one of it's one of the saddest uh, things I've ever seen a character go through. The all the little there's so many little plot details. Election is filled with plot. It's amazing how how much they pack into it. Um, and all the little plot details lead up to his character making these bad decisions, and um, and uh, I, I just—if you've never seen Election, <laughs> you have to see that movie.
2: He suffers so many embarrassments. I mean, he pays for everything he does, but, but it's such a fall from grace that final that final scene showing where he is and what's going on with his life. is just so pathetic. Oh
1: yeah. And he loves, he's, he's got that, he's got that shiny. He's like, he's like polishing up a turd there at the end. He's like, yeah. he's like, he's like, uh, yeah, I've always wanted to live in New York, you know? And it's like $1,100 for an apartment. That's like the size of a closet and all sorts of stuff. And he's, and, uh, and he's, um, you know, he's teaching at the Museum of Natural History and all that. And it's just like, the, he's just, uh, he's just a lowly, you know, low version of his former self and everything. Um, but he's, he's making it work, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, oh my God. And just, and that, and his, his futile attempt to try to get back at her at the end too, cause he sees her. And uh, and uh, and she's getting into a limo with like a senator or whatever, and he throws a a cup at him. (laughs) One of the most priceless little uh, expressions afterwards, too, where the guy gets out. He's like, "Hey!" And Broderick's like, "Uh, uh, "I'm gonna run this way."
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was a weird departure for him. I mean, after he did the Cable Guy, he did this, and, and and this was like sandwiched in between like Godzilla and Uh, like inspector gadget and all that crazy shit that came out after godzilla um uh
1: it was yeah, he had cable guy 96 godzilla was 98 this was 99 i don't remember too much in between there but he was still broderick was still sort of viable at the time um still uh you know he was still kind of coasting on that ferris bueller's uh fame and everything He still is he kind of still is, but you don't see him as much anymore. I don't know. He, he might be more of a stage guy now because, um, you know, his big hit after that was the producers on, on Broadway. Right. Yeah. The movie itself didn't do anything. But, um, but that was – yeah, with good reason is right. Um, but, uh, Broderick is so good in that. And I feel like, I feel like, you know, probably when you've spent a, you know, a long time doing a Godzilla movie, you're probably like,
2: thank God this hit my
0: <laughs> lap, you know? <laughs> Um, even if i have to wear a prosthetic
2: bee sting on my eyeball i don't have (laughs) to react to tennis balls in the air
1: yeah exactly but yeah guys seriously if you haven't seen election watch that movie it is one of the funniest things you'll ever see it's probably my top five comedies um
2: yeah the movie part of the movie's charm um, is how shockingly vulgar it is at times.
1: Oh, oh my God! It's funny. I, I I watched this movie with my my brother and his wife, and and I I decided I was like, I'm not going to warn them about this. <laughs> and there's the the first moment you know this movie is a little bit filthier than normal. I was like, oh, uh, this scene's about to come up. Oh my God! This is gonna this is going to this is gonna hurt a little bit. And <laughs> I don't think I don't think she ended up watching the rest of the movie. Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh,
0: Barrett, do you have another? Yeah. Okay. so what I like kind of the the opposite of the uh, the devolution or like the unraveling is when characters really have like this crazy drive in them. And one of the best movies I've seen recently uh, that characterized that was Whiplash. Mm. Yeah. And Miles Teller's character uh, is this guy and this kid that applies to this very, very high level, top ranked uh, music school in the jazz band led by this crazy autocrat uh, played by J.K. Simmons. And this kid, I mean, just the, the, the hellish torture that he goes through both, you know, from Fletcher, the band leader, and then just kind of by him from himself. Yeah. is really impressive to me. And even though it's you know, kind of... Um, against his, his whole family's wishes and everything. They're all successful people, except for you know his dad's supportive and everything. But that, to me, is just a terrific performance, because when he comes out the other side and he's just doing this F.U. drum solo at the end, they hate each other so much by the time Andrew and and Fletcher, but they're just linked so much because what he's doing is so badass that they can't break that connection it's it's an incredible last
2: scene. i actually action. feel oh, you're totally right by the way this is a great arc he's fantastic in this movie this movie's amazing like there's two or three moments in the climax where you're smacked with a huge bit of emotion but yeah. i kind of felt like they came to like each other by the end of his solo like there was maybe it's <laughs> yeah in
0: that in that what three minutes or something like that right the, yeah, the it's like everything. the
2: teacher finally sees this immense talent that he never thought was actually there. And the kid Mm -hmm. finally sees what he can do that he never really believed in himself before. And I I felt like they kind of bonded there in that moment to where I wouldn't be surprised in whatever future that movie has that they are – you know, communicating or working together or something. And it comes
0: right on the hill heels of him just completely screwing him.
2: Oh man. Totally. That's why. I mean. Everybody said, watch (laughs) this movie. And it gets to that part where he screws him. I'm like, this movie is going to depress the F out of me. And then the kid just turns it on its ear and you have like a whole second positive experience god i love that movie
1: well let's face it in the future of this movie that this movie has uh that that's one good moment that they have between each other and then after that he's they're screwing each other again uh that's exactly (laughs) what's happening at the after this movie is is done um yeah whiplash is a good one and and his character uh i feel like has a sort of a a two-path um uh, you know arc or whatever one he could just he could be great And he could be a great drummer. He is a great drummer uh, and still and still have some part of his humanity left with him. And the other road is to follow down uh, the J.K. Simmons route and say, I have to dedicate 24 hours of my life to this and I can't have a girlfriend and I can't have anything else because that's going to ruin me being transcendent. So Mm -hmm. he's he's deciding that he's really his decision is between being great and transcendent. Hmm. And, um, and, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I think that's a, an amazing thing because a very few people would, would, you know, choose to, uh, well, I'm already a great drummer who, who, I don't need, I don't need JK Simmons to tell me that I'm a right. great drummer, right. you know, <laughs> but he realizes that. And there's that great line in there that he gives him. He's like, there's nothing better. There's no worse words in the English language than, than good job. <laughs> um, uh, God. it's exactly the, it's exactly what he takes to heart and everything i i really enjoy that uh that you know his decision is not between well i won't be I, he's not going to be a bad drummer if he decides not to go down this path right, he's right. just going to be a great one yep and yep. Uh, and that's what i love about it all right, Jeremy?
2: All right, I'm going to give you two at once here because I feel like I, I, I lost a chance with the whole Breaking Bad thing, even though I love that. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Um, but they're also, they're, I, I wrote them together anyway because they're very similar arcs. And the first one I'll talk about is Leo in Blood Diamond. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and if you've nice. seen this movie, um he, Everything that happens to everybody in this movie is all because of Leo's selfishness. Um, (laughs) Everything. Everyone is where they are. And the things that happen to them happen to them because Leo wants that fucking diamond. (laughs) And by the end of the film, when he realizes somebody has to die um, and he spent all this time with these people, he sort of realizes, I think, that it's all his fault and goes the complete selfless route. So he goes from selfishness to selflessness, um, lets the others go on ahead without him, and you know, basically stays behind for certain death. The movie itself is pretty heavy-handed with the Blood Diamond messaging, and I don't have a problem with that. Um, but his character and the arc that he takes, I, I love watching that movie because he just goes from pure evil to pure good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And this is also the, the, that year he could have been nominated for the departed as well. Uh, but he, they gave him the nomination for blood diamond instead. Um, but yeah, he's really good. And I remember the trailer for it. I was just like, Oh my God, this, this accent that he's putting on, I'm going to hate. And then I watched the movie and I was like, Oh, can kind of get along with this. This is, yeah, this is like, pretty good. Yeah. He sneaks.
2: Charlie Sterren you know. might have something negative to say about it, but you know, I don't, <laughs> it sounded pretty authentic to right? me. The other one that we can talk about them both uh, is Clooney in Three Kings.
1: Mm, yeah.
2: Um, which is yeah. another one of those movies I don't ever hear anybody talk about anymore. That another should,
1: 1999.
2: Yeah, you should go watch if you haven't seen it. And it's basically Desert Storm set. The war is over, and these selfish soldiers find this map, and they decide to go looking for the gold. They steal the gold. In the process of everything that happens, by the end of the film... All Clooney cares about is helping these people. Um, And in the beginning, all he cared about was getting that gold and protecting them. So he's basically a con man uh, who's a badass army ranger. Um, (laughs) And it's a great film for a bunch of different reasons. But I love the redemptive arc for both Leo and Blood Diamond and Clooney and Three Kings to go from so selfish to so selfless and earn it along the way. And you root for both of them, too. Yeah, and it's it's not like a Tony Montana you root
0: for him because the camera's on them, because they're they're not necessarily the primary characters the entire time. Right, because Clooney is more so than than Leo, but both of them, you know, you can you can see the flicker of good in them as it comes across in their interactions with with everybody. Um, and it, I think it was it was earlier on with Clooney's character in Three Kings where he it kind of showed shades of like, yeah, maybe I do care about this a little bit more than the gold bullion.
1: Three Kings is, uh, is a movie. Uh, that movie is so good. That's a David O. Russell, early yep. David, David O. Russell, that, uh, you know, before his renaissance, but it also started his, uh, reputation as the, you know, the bad guy as a director, uh, like doesn't get along with his, uh, actors at all. Didn't Clooney, and Clooney and he fight or something. Clooney threatened to beat his ass uh, because David O. Russell was like absolutely just just i don't mean, know he was i don't know he was just giving this one guy an undressing in front of everybody you know just like just chewing him down and um and clooney was like i'm not putting up with that and everything and and so there was like a near i guess it was a near fist fight on the set or whatever but um <laughs> i love the i love that scene you know clint when clooney is still really going after that gold bullion or whatever he's like talking to he's talking to those people to try to get him a car And, uh, and he's like, he's like getting everybody together. It's like, yeah, many nations together, you know, coming, (laughs) coming for, you know, and this is all really, he just wants to get rich and everything. And it's like, yeah, many nations and everybody's getting along with it. Yeah. Many nations. And then finally the guy was like, can I give car? (laughs) Can I give you car? (laughs) I love that. Uh, that scene, that movie's really good. I mean, 1999, what a year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was a good year.
1: You know what? I'm going to go, I was trying to make this somewhat equitable. I don't know if, um, I don't know if it's to my detriment here, but I'm going to go, uh, on an actress this time, uh, Emma Thompson and sense and sensibility. Ah. Um, uh, I talked a little bit about this movie when Alan Rickman died uh, a month or so ago. Um, but I believe this character is, is, you know, it's obviously the heart of the movie. Um, and I feel so bad for her character the entire time because she because uh, you're in you're in this era of you know it's in the title Sense and Sensibility uh, she can't um, she can't emote anything uh, about what her true feelings are. Um, uh, she's in love with the Hugh Grant character and everything, but she can't say anything because he's betrothed to another or he's he's she's not wealthy enough to to marry. Um, into his family and um there's uh, he she they're they're basically the whole time that she has to talk with him she has to hold back those feelings and can't say a word about it because it's just it's it's not it's pointless um but i think where it pays off and i love i also love that there's a scene in there where her sister kate winslet says like you know you never express anything you know whatever and she's like
2: Believe me, Marianne, had I not been bound to silence, I could have produced proof enough of a broken heart, even for you.
1: Um, that type of thing. I love that scene where she says that, but um but especially at the end when she finds out that Hugh Grant is available and and loves her and wants to marry her and everything, there's that break of just tension and relief and she's she cries and laughs at the same time um at the very end of it she's had to keep her emotions in this entire movie and finally gets a chance at the end. The movie isn't all about her and everything. The way I'm talking about it, it makes it sound like it's all about her, but the whole movie where she's just, you know, she has to sit there and hold it in the entire time. It just, you just break your heart breaks for the entire time. Yeah. Cause she can't, she can't say anything that's going to be, uh, (laughs) that's going to help and is useful. And she's tied to her station in life. And yeah,
2: Everything. I've only seen it twice. Um, I saw it in the theater and then I watched it again with my family. um, And uh, I loved it. Uh, It's just, it's been so long um, that I I just remember thinking all the performances were fantastic. Um, And they, and they are, as I remember, right alan rickman
1: yeah there's yeah everybody is really good in it um this was this was sort of kate winslet sort of coming out too i mean Mm -hmm. they sort of knew we are we already kind of knew about her from heavenly creatures and all that but that was this was a big i think she got nominated for an oscar for this um emma thompson i believe won the oscar for the adapted screenplay um oh she wrote it yeah she wrote the adapted screenplay i knew she was smart
2: but i didn't know she wrote that movie
1: um, yeah. And so, you know, it obviously has a lot to uh, to, to do with Jane Austen's original um, material and everything, but she adapted it and Angley did a really good job. Did getting... Kath Brana have anything to do with it? No, he
0: totally ghostwrote that shit.
1: <laughs> I mean,. <laughs> Come on, I'm pretty sure by the by the uh by sense and sensibility, Kenneth Branagh was already with uh Helena Bonham Carter
2: or something like that're you right I think they were uh, split up by then,
1: yeah, so uh I think that's I think that was right around that year uh it's funny that was the exact year that Hugh Grant was caught with the hooker um that, that <laughs> very year um nice. uh he the, the it was nineteen ninety five and then you see him in this like period piece where he's prim and proper and all that and it's like oh it kind of ruins the effect a little bit
0: (laughs) yeah we'll do one more round i guess and then move to to questions sure i love you do one and i'll do one and then we'll do
2: questions unless Chris has another one
0: all right this is something that we could come back to too because i think for sure go on all day about this so my last one is and it, it strikes me because he He starts off one way and then he just cements himself in the way. And that's Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood. Oh, Oh, yeah. um, Really good one there. Because he starts – it's not uh, unlike what we're talking about here and like Michael Corleone and, and things like that. Like he starts at a place that's not too far away from where he ends up. But along the way, he just does whatever it takes to cement his status in this, in this oil game and in the business game and everything and ends up, you know, being horribly tragic at the end. Uh, so he really, really just doubles down over and over and over on kind of his pathology and just the way that it's, it's played almost non-verbally, uh, by Daniel Day-Lewis. It's, it's just incredible. That's why, I mean, it was an open and shut case for the Oscar that year. Um, I I love uh, that performance.
1: There Will Be Blood is probably um, one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. It'd be in the top five for sure. Um, uh, One thing that I read about this, and I didn't consider this before, but they were talking about his character, um, Daniel Plainview, um, is that the scene, an early scene in the beginning where he breaks his leg and uh, he finds the gold or whatever, and then he drags himself out of that you know, that Mm -hmm. hole or whatever. And the next scene, they show it, you know, the guy, they're measuring the gold and they're trying to come up with a, a weight for, you know, a price for it and all that other type of stuff. Um, you, you realize that he broke his leg and he had to drag himself all the way to town probably to get that gold, Mm -hmm. uh, weighted and priced, um, is, is a testament to his character and what his drive
0: is throughout the whole thing. Um, I thought you were going to say that Daniel Day-Lewis was so method that he actually broke his own leg. You know what? <laughs> you know what? He
1: probably did. He probably did. Or at least he did something that made it where his leg wasn't useful or something like that. So probably like, you know, did. I mean, it, and it's the way he is.
2: <laughs> I don't break character to the DVD commentary. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love that too. It's another, it's another movie where little plot elements in the movie – uh contribute to what hit what decisions his character makes in it and and basically to his detriment yeah. um all the way through as not 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 as far as personally i mean he he's rich by the end of it and and living in a mansion but to all of his personal relationships at the end um it you know he has nobody at the end of the movie
2: well, I think we should definitely do this topic again because I still have too many I want to talk about, but I'm going <laughs> <Same here. laughs> to choose one final one. And uh, we actually talked about this movie in a recent podcast for a different reason, but I'm going Antonio Banderas in the 13th warrior. Mm, um, <clears throat> just now that is off the wall. Yeah. I really like this movie. Um, nobody really knows about it. I mean, maybe everybody saw it once and forgot about it, um, but he begins the movie as this poet from, you know, another country, dressed in all this formal royal garb. Um, He's the furthest thing from a warrior possible. And through the trials and tribulations of this band of Nordic, whatever they are, Vikings looking for this creature that turns out to be weird humans. I just ruined the movie. Um, Anyway, um, by the end of the movie, when they're get about to get attacked at the gate, and they're all doing the oath, um, and he lifts his sword, and he's standing right there in the front with all of them, and he couldn't even lift the sword in the beginning, and he's saying the oath with them, and he's fully one of them now, uh, and it's just a, it's a fantastic arc because um, he just goes from almost a fop to like a badass, um, and I really like that movie. I realize it's not like super great, but anyway, I have, I'm trying to
1: remember, I, I've. Mm. No, I saw parts of this movie. Um it also came out in 1999. Um <laughs> accidental theme. Yeah, exactly. I saw I saw parts of this movie at least, but I don't know if I had seen it, I would remember it today, but um uh, I don't remember it today if I did see it. Um, but I do remember, because we talked about it before, the, that McTiernan did that same, uh, you know, language barrier thing with yeah. this one where he zooms in on the mouth and then it comes back out and they're speaking English. And uh, the guy says, how
2: did you learn our language? And Antonio Banderas says, I listened. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um but yeah that's a that's another movie i'm gonna have to re- revisit because i didn't know that was uh still high on your list as something as uh as a you know a movie to watch um, i mean
2: i love it i love it i'm not I, it's it's not a guilty pleasure i think it's good but uh it may just be a jeremy thing where it just hit me the right way um anyway but you got one more
1: um yeah i have another one um another movie that um I don't think gets its due, uh, although critics certainly love it and everything. But, uh, have you guys ever seen the conversation? Oh yeah. With, yeah. um,
2: uh, Gene, Gene Hack- Hackman.
1: Yeah. Gene Hackman, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, did this movie the same year Godfather two came out. Wow. And, um, I believe he got nominated. The, both movies got nominated for best picture. And then I think he got nominated for director for Godfather two. But, um, but the conversation is gene hackman at his very very best oh, um uh he he plays a character named harry call who does these he bugs people um you know he like back in night was it uh, sort of the nixon watergate scandal era or whatever he was he's bugging people like he's uh he, he found he finds a way to uh, expertly put bugs on people and listen to them, and the the conversation that is the you know the title or whatever is of these this couple walking around. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's San Francisco. I think it's uh, one of the, it's one of the it's Union Square. I think, um, and uh, they're walking around and there's all these different sounds and everything that block what they're actually saying. And, uh, and he's expert enough to take out a lot of that background noise and everything and to, to come up with a full conversation. Um, but what his character is, his character is, is another obsessive, I guess. You know, it's, uh, it's a guy who is more dedicated to his craft than he is dedicated to anything else outside of that. And if any, if anybody does the same thing to him, he feels immediately violated and offended. And it's sort of what, that movie's theme is about, you know, it's, it's like, should we be doing this? Um, should we, should we be able to listen in on people's conversations like this, even if it is to maybe possibly to prevent a murder and everything. And the movie is, I love, those, is, movies. I love yeah.
0: those movies. You know, they don't, they don't make them very often anymore.
1: No, they don't. Um, and, uh, and this one is, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's so good. It It's, it goes through this, wh- whether we should do it or not. And, and even as he's finding out these things, and you're like, oh well, maybe he, you know, he he might be able to do this or whatever. The movie sort of flips it on him, and uh, and and it sort of, uh, you know, it it does say, well, even if you think you know, you don't know, you know, this is where the <laughs> this is where the, in a world where nothing is as it seems, you know, this <laughs> is uh, basically what the conversation is. Well, um,
2: can't you also look at the conversation as, in a way, like a prequel to the character he plays in – is it Enemy of the State? Yeah. Enemy of the State where he plays, I believe
1: it's like Harry Saul or something like that. Yeah. It's like a rhyme. It's rhymes with call.
2: It's like a total homage to the character. For, I've seen the conversation three times, uh, four times, maybe. I love it. It's great. It's super tense. Um, And, you know, I love that it's audio tense. Like there are moments where you're listening to the audio and you, you really have to strain early on to try and hear what he might be trying to hear and uh is that a great suggestion good good call uh
1: no pun intended Harry call um <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean uh, guys that's another movie the conversation uh, if you haven't seen that or heard of it or whatever go and find it because that's gene hackman at his very very best and uh it's it's coppola his best and it's just oh man the movie's so good
0: um hackman is better than 99% of other people's primes. <laughs> no, no doubt. No
1: doubt, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, all right, so we're uh, we ready for some Q&A.
0: Question. Question.
1: I got something to say. I want the truth. I'm listening. Yep,
2: yeah, I've got a whole good list of questions here. And uh, we're going to start with uh, what novel or novel series would you love to be seen made into a movie or franchise that has not yet been made into one? So basically, books go dark tower right yeah, Well, the,
0: and they, they just announced that. that i know yeah they've been announcing for the last what like 10 years right yeah, well they, they
1: cast it though they cast it this time though oh man idris I elba's gonna either. be in it
0: yeah yeah i can't wait to see that made if, if it's made right of course but that that's so cinematic that whole thing especially the first book the gunslinger is so cinematic that it just begs to be put on the screen and it gets a little bit off the rails as it goes down to like the sixth and seventh book.
1: I'm trying to remember. I've, I know I've read the first two books of this. I don't think I've gotten past the second, um, but you're right. It's almost like King was writing uh, sort of a, a movie treatment with this thing. Um, what I really like about uh, some of the intros to these books is that it, I think he finally did finish it. Didn't he? It's like now yeah. it's like eight or uh-huh. nine books or something like that. Um, but, uh, but he said something like, uh, I don't know where this is going. I have no yeah. idea where this is going. I'm just going to write what I, what, whatever, I, whatever it comes to. But yeah, good. that's a good one. Uh, it was actually the first thing that popped in my head, too, even though I'd heard the announcement. Well,
2: uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to pick something that most people probably haven't even heard of, but it's maybe my favorite book um the Abels? <laughs> no um it's called peace like a river uh, it's by a guy named leaf anger um i think i've actually i think you let me borrow this book i, I think i've read this book you might have uh, it's uh, about a it's set in like the i don't know early 1900s it's about a family that goes off looking for their missing child um and uh It's not, it would be, it would almost have to be an independent or art house film. There's not a ton of action. Uh, and it's going to basically be a drama, but the, the book is so beautifully written and it's just some of the best prose ever. Um, And I've read everything this guy's written. There's only, like, two, three books. Um, But I love – at one point, it was going to get made. They had it in development. Billy Bob Thornton was going to play the dad, and I got all excited. That was, like, eight years ago, uh, and nothing's happened since. Uh, But it's one of my very favorite books, so I would probably choose that one first.
1: You know, uh, the one that I'm going to say has been uh, attempted before. Oh. But – uh, it's also been done poorly and, you know, I mean, I think it's a, it's one of those that people are going to say, well, it's always going to be done poorly because it's this and that, but the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, Ooh. is a great, is a good series. I mean, it, it starts to taper off a little bit as it gets past its third book and everything. But, um, but if you could just do that a little bit, that, that 2005 movie that came out, uh, <laughs> oh man! And it wasn't
0: as bad as people probably remember it, it as. Yeah,
1: been. but you know, it, it just there were so many things off about the humor in it. There was no timing. Oh yeah, yeah. No timing in it at all. Um, the and also it had been done better, really. Uh, even though there was a there's like a BBC series that came out that was you know yeah. it was just I mean it's absolute uh Doctor Who production value garbage. Um, which is going to, I'm sure uh ingratiate myself to Dr. Who fans, but, um, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, there's that. And there's like an audio book of it and they get the timing down so well in those audio recordings and everything. Of course I had that in my head while watching the movie and like listening to the narrator, uh, do his stuff and doing it quicker without any, without any timing and everything. I was just like, Oh, this is, this is awful. And, um, I think if you could get somebody that's, you know, that's well attuned to the comedy of the whole thing, they could get it. They could do one that's good. I mean, Jay Roach, he's he's a guy. I mean, he did Austin Powers and all that. You know, it seemed like a a perfectly good director to do that. But um, he just I just wasn't whatever for whatever reason, they couldn't get that right.
2: Your answer leads perfectly into the next question. So Ah. because you sort of cheated in your answer, but the next question is you guys have bemoaned the remaking of older movies, but are there any movies you'd actually like to see remade? Mm -hmm. Um, so hitchhiker's guide would fit perfectly in there for you. I would assume since I just listened to what you said, Yeah, Um, but, uh, um, so I'm cheating in my answer to this question. Uh, but I want to see more matrix universe films, uh, good ones. Um, and I've said this before, I think. Um, it's such a rich universe. I think you could go back and tell young Morpheus stories. I think you could tell stories of other ships and previous Neos or the Ones. Uh, I think you could tell stories set in the future of what we've seen. Um, and th- I just feel like it's, it's it's a world that has potential. I don't want to see a remake. I don't want to see a reboot. Um, but I would like to go back to that world.
0: No, that's, a, that's a great uh, answer, actually. No it, it, it's so expansive, right? You could go into any sort of character's uh world and just ex- play with that whether it's within the matrix or within the re- real world right? How badass
2: would it be if Netflix put Daredevil kind of production values and money behind a young Morpheus series? yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be awesome <laughs> I mean, oh man, I know
1: that there's I know that there's a few movies that I've watched where I like man, I like everything except this. And if they could just change this, it would be a great movie. Or I don't I don't like this, but I like the premise. And if it could, it could be done better, you know, so on and so forth.
0: I'll tell you what came to to mind, actually, after I kind of processed the question. And this is probably another unpopular opinion, but I didn't like anything about Walk the Line. And I didn't think (laughs) it was very (laughs) true to Johnny Cash. Uh, I know it was a, the nice love story and everything with June and everything, but I think it could have been done so, so much better. I never bought Joaquin Phoenix as Johnny Cash. That's probably just me. I did buy Reese Witherspoon as June Cash. She was fantastic. But like the whole narrative just didn't didn't work for me. I think somebody could do the Johnny Cash story in a much different take and much, much better. Yeah, so
2: there's my answer.
1: <laughs>
2: All right. Um, should we move on to on, on another question? Yeah, go ahead. All right. See, I'm hitting you guys with another surprise. Uh, I do have an answer ready if you um, flail for a minute. But uh, who's your favorite voice actor or vocal talent in terms of like?
0: Oh, I got it. Okay.
2: Go for it. Alec Baldwin. Ah, Good call. The man has the
0: most beautiful voice, whether it's on – he's got a podcast called Here's the Thing on uh, the New York uh, public radio. But – you know, he's he's the narrator in in uh, Royal Tenenbaums and you know uh, I think a, a couple of other Wes Anderson films, but once he hit fifty or so, like he just developed this voice that wasn't there in the Hunt for Red October days or like you know the the earlier Baldwin days. Uh, but now it's just absolutely glorious. I could I could listen to it all day long. That's a good answer. <laughs>
1: um, mine would be H. John Benjamin. Um, nice. He's uh, I, I mean he's on two different hit shows right now: Bob's Burgers and Archer. Mm. Um, and uh, he's always been a great you know character voice actor guy, uh, kind of like along the lines of Patrick Warburton, who I'd probably put up there too.
2: That's a good one too. Uh,
1: but uh, but H John Benjamin has just he's got that way about his voice that is instantly humorous and instantly engages you in into whatever you're watching and it's funny when you put his voice with Archer it totally goes <laughs> along with that and he put his <laughs> his great. same voice with the guy in Bob's Burgers it goes completely along with that yeah. you know and it's and it and they're two completely different characters and uh, but and he's also funny. As the you know the what is it the can of whatever he is and uh, oh, uh, hot wet Ameri- hot American summer yeah. and and you know the Netflix series too or whatever just the it, him coming up is is always welcome it's welcome to me
2: okay so I'm gonna go with uh, Alan Tudyk, Um okay oh, nice who I don't I don't think a lot of people realize how much voice over animation work he's done he was a voice in the ice age movies mm-hmm. um, he was a voice in wreck it ralph which is what i'll come back to and finish with um he's been a voice on family guy um iRobot. he was a <clears throat> robot chicken voice he's been a voice in frozen he was a voice in Big Hero 6, he was one of the voices in Adventure Time. He's one of the voices in – I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Rick and Morty. Um, but in Wreck-It Ralph, where he plays King Candy, where he's, he's doing a sort of homage to this old comedian whose name I forget, um, is where I think he just shows the most obscure range in what he can do. Because I didn't even know that was him until I'd looked at the credits after I watched the movie.
1: And it's just uh, a good mark of an you know great mark of an actor is that he can just you know you can you can do that without thinking of him or you know what he like a lot of times when they put these you know big names in a in a uh, cartoon or whatever you can't you can't get them out of your head right. when they're when they're doing it and he can just do that seamlessly because he's a character actor and everything so yeah. and he's really good at it. I would also mention uh, even though guess technically it's not voice. I mean, it, it is, but Andy circus is another one that uh, I would put on there. Good call. Um, uh, and he's another guy that, you know, for, for various reasons has never been nominated for an Oscar and should have just for the things that he's doing. But, uh, we haven't gotten to that point yet where, where people think that, you know, when you do a digital manipulation of somebody's performance, is it a good performance or not? You know, it's, we're in that gray area with that. But, uh, Andy Serkis is Gollum is the Gollum is one of the first CGI characters that I completely buy. And it's yeah. because of him. Well, even uh, in King
2: Kong, he's doing all the, the vocal grunting, like all of King Kong's noises are him.
1: Right. Uh, and and a lot. I mean, that's what a lot of people don't understand the sort of the serious work that goes into that. If we're going to give Leonardo DiCaprio uh, an Oscar for, you know, going through all sorts of hell and stuff like that, that's basically what we gave it to it for. We should give somebody like
2: Andy Sergo some uh, and season
1: for that. Yeah, yeah exactly. A- oh yeah, absolutely.
2: Good one. That should have been the first one. You <laughs> smart. Good. You smart.
1: Good. <laughs> All right. Well, uh I think that does it for the Zencast uh this week. Um if you have any comments, questions, whatever, want to tell us what we're doing good, bad, or whatever, go to SoundCloud for that. We are also doing this uh podcast in three different rooms across the United States of America due to Zencaster. Um, Barry, you got any more to say about that?
0: Yeah, the folks at Zencaster can help you with all your podcast needs. We are not <laughs> sponsored by them. We're not paid by them, but we just like them and we use them. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in using them for any sort of web conferencing, recording, or podcasts, go to Zencaster.com. That's Z E N c a s t r dot
1: Yes, and that is, and it's, and it's absolutely hilarious that we are not uh, sponsored by them, even though we just gave a sponsor, ra- like, um, basically related uh, rant about them there. Uh, but that's absolutely true. Um, anyway, uh, that is the Syncast for this week. Uh, signing off with Chris, Jeremy, and Barrett. We'll see you next
0: time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube. Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit CinemaSins.com.
2: one guy says watching Jeremy use a fork is like watching someone pull off one of their fingernails slowly. What? <laughs> and so I went back and watched it, and I can't figure out what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> like When I'm holding something in place with the fork to, to slice it with the knife, I, maybe I'm holding the fork backwards. I, that's all I can come up with. But they wow. make it sound like I'm a mongrel. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm back. I just killed somebody. This country, you got to make the money first. Then when you get the money, you get the power. Then we you get the power, then you get the woman. Now, say my name. You might ask if I ever saw Tracy Flick again. Well, I did, just once. Not fucking
0: temple! This no fine, huh? This no fine. Nah, This no more you get, from we! And you know boys then can use one old rotten AK them against them government troop and then new
1: weapons them, huh?